Revelation 3, 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but a little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. In the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And then Jesus says this as he closes in verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So John has been exiled. He's been given a life sentence, basically, to live out the rest of his years on a little island called Patmos. And as John is there living out in exile, the one that he loved so much, the one who he laid his head on the breast of, this one named Jesus who gave his life for sins on the cross and was placed in a tomb for three days and emerged victorious from that tomb and showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, as Luke said. And after the end of those days, he ascended back to heaven where he sat down on the right hand of the Father. And that's where he is today, ever living, making intercession for the saints. But at this vision, John was seeing not his beloved friend that he walked on the shores with, but the resurrected, glorified, risen Son of God. And when John saw him, he fell down at his feet. He was blown away because Jesus looked in that vision like he had never seen him before with eyes like a flame of fire and bronzed feet and hair like wool and was, was clothed in high priestly garments. And it blew John's mind. But eventually, the Son of God, Jesus, started speaking these messages to John. And so there were seven churches in Asia Minor and Jesus had a word, a specific word for each of these churches. And what we just read was Jesus' particular message, specific message for the Christians there at the church in Philadelphia. And so from that uh, message, I want us to tap into a few things that I think are, are so crucial even for today, for this season. This is not a historical message. This is not a practical message, so to speak. This is more of, of let, the, let the Holy Spirit so stir your heart that the same king who talked to John is the one you pray to, is the one who pardoned you and received you and, and took all of your shame and all of the accusation off of you and declared over you what he's about to declare here to these Christians in Philadelphia. And so tonight, the test is this. It's not out there. It's in here. Can you dare to receive what the Lord says 
to the church of Philadelphia, can you have the courage and the faith to lay it like a template, to superimpose it right there on your life? Because if you can, I'm going to tell you, it'll connect with what he's doing right now in this generation. So I'm going to give you four different um, aspects of Christ as he reveals himself uh, to the church at Philadelphia in the verses we just read. So here's the first one. He first speaks, and we'll start out very briefly here, as the faithful shepherd in verse number seven. He, he shows himself as the faithful shepherd when he says he knew where to find them. When John's giving this message, he says, I want you now, John, to give a message to those Christians in Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was probably the least impressive of the seven churches in Asia Minor. It sat upon a a higher hill, so they were able to defend themselves, but compared to places like Ephesus and, and even Smyrna and even Laodicea, Philadelphia would have been like the little brother, almost the runt of all of those cities. And so oftentimes they were kind of cast in the shadow of some of the other, uh, the other churches and the other uh, cities in that area. And yet Jesus knew exactly where they were. Maybe nobody else was applauding them. Nobody else was feeling uh, marvelous about who they were, but they were important to the Lord's heart. And, and you've got to understand, the book of Revelation was, a, was originally written on a scroll. And that scroll somehow made it off the island of Patmos. And so there was an actual day in history where for the very first time, the church at Philadelphia came together and they said, we have a letter from John. And as they began to read it, and they knew that the one speaking was the resurrected Son of God in a vision to the Apostle John. Imagine their hearts and how they left when, when the word said, and to the church at Philadelphia. And, and immediately they recognized, oh my goodness, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, knows where we are. He knows who we are. And friends, that is an awesome thing to think about because what was true of them is true of you. That in the midst of feeling at times, or I know you can, forgotten, cast aside, insignificant, and yet the Lord knows who you are, and he knows where you are. He knows where you are geographically, of course, but he also knows where you are circumstantially. What's going on in your life? He knows where to find you. But beyond knowing where they are, he was committed to keep them. Watch this. He reveals himself to them. He says, I want you to tell them, John, that what's about to be said is coming from the one who is the holy one, the true one, and then the one who has the key of David. So very quickly here, the Lord was going to, and we'll see this in a minute, he's going to address the difficult circumstances that they were in. He's going to talk to them about his understanding of what was coming against them, and he's going to affirm them. He doesn't have one single negative thing to say about the church of Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia, but he says this, first of all, the one who's speaking to you is the altogether holy one. I'm perfect. I see perfectly. I speak perfectly. I discern perfectly. I act perfectly. There's no spot in me. There's no darkness in me. I am light. I am love. I am life. I am the holy God of gods. I am Jesus Christ, your Lord. And so that speaks of him in his internal character. But the next phrase is that he is the true one. So what does that mean? That speaks of how he interacts with people. Because he is holy, he is true in his relationships. And so in essence, he's telling them, you can trust me. Others have lied to you. Others have deceived you. Others have abandoned you, but not me. I am true to you. And then he uses this highly Hebraic phrase or Jewish phrase. He says, I'm the one who has the key of David. 
I don't have time to go into that, but in Isaiah chapter number 22, there was an individual named Shebna, and he was a servant, and he served under King Hezekiah, and he was not a man of character. And because of the way he lived, he was, had his authority removed. He once had the key to the treasury of Hezekiah, but because he was unreliable and unfaithful, his key was taken away, and it was given to another man named Hilkiah, and it was said of Hilkiah, he has the key of David, the key of authority, the key to the treasury, the key to the kingdom. And Jesus comes in and borrows that phrase here, and he says, I am the one who has all authority. I am the one who has all access. I am the one who has the key. It's going to be important in a minute because that key actually goes to something that is going to be vital for the church at Philadelphia to hear. And so here it is. He knows where to find them. He was committed to keep them as the holy one and the true one and the one with the key of David. Well, what about that key? Well, look, he has the authority to advance them. He says, I'm the one who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one opens. Immediately, this little church of Philadelphia, if they're coming out of their initial shock of knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to them through the great apostle. It's what they would have been happy to hear from the apostle John in a friendly little uninspired letter. Hi, I'm John. I'm praying for you. But John's letter actually contained a message from Jesus Christ. And that message says, I am the one in your life who opens and nobody can reverse it. And I'm the one in your life who closes and nobody can pass through it. Now, he's going to come back to that idea in a minute, but what we're seeing there is that when we're thinking of open and closing, and we're going to see he's talking about a door here in a moment, which represents opportunity. He's saying this, I am the one who advances you. I am the one who shepherds you. I'm the one who leads you, and I know where I'm going, and if you will follow me, you will end up exactly where I want you to be. Now, friends, that's important because everybody, even going back to the time where John is writing here, all of us have this little component inside of us as humans. We like all of the information beforehand. We want to know, okay, I'm, you're going to shepherd me? That is awesome, Jesus. Now, before we launch out on this journey, will you draw it out on the map? Tell me every stop. Tell me what we're going to experience. Tell me who's going to accompany us. Tell me all the highs. Tell me all the lows. And then we'll go on the journey. And he just doesn't owe us that. Because again, we're all about the destination and Jesus is all about the process and the journey. He is all about it just being primarily about you being with him, not getting from point A to point B, but actually traveling whatever route he chooses and being close to him. And so he's telling them, I'm going to shepherd you. I'm going to lead you. And as you do follow me, I want you to recognize when I open something, nobody's going to shut it on you. And when I close something, they're not going to pass through. It is a, it is a, a kind word from a shepherd who's reassuring a small group of Christians who outwardly aren't that impressive. Matter of fact, he's going to hit on that in the next point. Not only is he, first of all, their faithful shepherd, but secondly, he's their engaged overseer. When I mean engaged, I'm not talking about engaged to be married. I'm talking about that he is proactive, that he is locked in, that he is, he is active on their behalf. First of all, he says in verse number eight at the beginning, I know your works. I, this to me is precious. I, I want us to remember something. I can't dwell here long, but I want, I want you to remember something. Most of the good and godly, holy work that's done in the kingdom, most of it doesn't get noticed by us. 
that there are people that are serving right now, right here in this piece of property. There are people that are serving Jesus. You and I don't see them. We don't know what their names are. If we did see them, we might not realize that the value of everything they're doing. But when the Son of God puts his eyes on that, he says, I know what you're doing, and I know that you're doing it for me. Hebrews chapter number 6, verse number 10 is one of the most encouraging verses in the book of Hebrews, where the, word, the Lord says, I am not, un, well, the, the writer of Hebrews says, the Lord is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love that you have shown toward his name and that you minister to the saints and continue to minister. Meaning this, he sees what you've done. There may be 10,000 eyes that never see it, but the only two eyes that you really need to value the what you do for the Lord and who you are in the Lord are his eyes. And he says to Philadelphia, he says, I got my eye on you. And it's not threatening. It's not, hey, I got my eye on you. It's, it is, I got my eyes on you. I've been watching you. You, you may have felt like I, I didn't notice or I didn't care or I couldn't see or it didn't matter, but I want you to know everything you've done for me, I haven't missed a thing. It's an incredible thought that everything you have ever done for the Lord, you've forgotten about most of it, and he never will. And literally, that when you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, when your journey on earth is over, and you stand before the Lord for that time of rewarding, you're going to probably experience this massive uh, shock and surprise because things that you didn't even remember, he noted, and he said, yeah, I wrote it down. I recorded it, whether it's in his mind or written down somewhere. He says, uh, yeah, I, I made sure that it was recorded because I couldn't wait to reward you for it. Friends, I want you to think about that, especially when the enemy tells you that your life doesn't matter and your work doesn't matter. We, we live in such a super celebrity, sensationalized Christian world where, you know, the greatest Christians are those with the most followers on Twitter are those that, you know, get, get PR and press and have massive ministries and stuff like that. Really? Because there's only then about 30 of those people in the world. What about the rest of us Christians? Friends, I want to tell you, the, the, the amazing, I think, I can't wait. I just want to, there's a part of me tonight just wants to be in glory with him just like right now. Just, and, and to get to the back end of the age where we really get to see the, the, the volume of what was done for him. And most of it's unnoticed. And that means probably most of the stuff that we have done, said, committed to. And, and that we're not supposed to flaunt it in front of people. When, when we do that, Jesus says, oh, yeah, the people that do that, they already got their reward. That's as good as it's going to get for them. But what we do in secret, the Father will reward openly. And so he tells them, I know your works. But he says more. We see that Jesus was pleased with them. He said, I know that you have but a little power, but you've kept my word. You've not denied my name Listen to the preciousness of the one who's overseeing the church at Philadelphia. First of all, he says, hey, guys, if I can paraphrase here, it's kind of the spirit behind it. I know compared to the Ephesus and, and Smyrna and Laodicea and Pergamum, I know you're, you're kind of considered the runt. I know you're not big. I know you're not impressive. I know you're not um, stout as far as the human eye can see. I know that. But let me tell you what I see in you. And then he, he gives them a couple of things here. He, he says, I want to honor you because you kept my word. You kept my word. Jesus looks at them, and the first thing he says is how pleased he was that they were obedient believers. 
that in the midst of hostile culture, in the midst of, of persecution that we're about to read about, in, in, in the midst of a culture and in a time where to be a public Christian could cost you everything, including your life. I mean, they were, there's a reason John was on the Isle of Patmos when he received the letter. It's because he was a Christian. And he wouldn't confess that Caesar is Lord because he had already confessed that Jesus is Lord. And when you mean it in your heart and you confess that Jesus is Lord, you can never confess anybody else is Lord. And because John's propagation of the gospel, they put him on the Isle of Patmos to die a slow death. Now John is pinning these words and he's saying, Jesus is saying through John, you tell them that I saw them and I, I knew what they were doing. And I'm deeply pleased that they didn't abandon my word. May the church in the 21st century hear that. And friends, listen, without, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to revert into like an angry fundamentalist preacher here for a moment. But let me make sure you understand this. The word of God endures forever. When I say the word of God, I want to make sure you know what I'm saying. I'm not just talking about, you know, a prophetic word. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the written word of God. That God hasn't backed off his commitment to his own word, nor his expectation that we would align ourselves with it. And in our day, in our culture, it, it is, there, it's like, you know, just a great flight away from the word of God. And when you become a Christian and, and commit to live as a Christian whose, whose life is defined by what does the Lord say, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to eventually make some people mad. And, and just so you know this, you're in a church where one of, the, one of the three pillars that we hold up is the authority of the Scriptures, the authority of the Word, the necessity of the Holy Spirit, and the unity of the body of Christ. Those are three pillars of Newbridge Church. And the authority of the Word is the foundational because we don't get to write our own destiny. It is going to be in the sense of, of framed up by God's truth. And Jesus says, as time comes against His truth, that, and as cultures want to take the Bible and rewrite it, and redefine what the Bible says and set up cultural norms as the standard and the expectations by which Christians should live. That there's going to come a time where you're just going to have to say in love, but with absolutely no apology, no, my Bible says this. And so when it comes to moral issues, which now they become political issues, and political correctness is expected at a greater level than biblical righteousness. And so churches are capitulating on this stuff. But I want to tell you, if we're going to receive the commendation on our lives in this church that, that Philadelphia said, one of the primary components is that we have kept his word, that we've lived by it, we've believed it, we've proclaimed it, we've shared it, and we've refused to compromise on it. So he talks to him about that. And then he says this, you, you've not denied my name. I, I just think that's awesome. I think it's Matthew 10. I don't remember the verse, but it is. It's in Matthew 10 where, where Jesus says in two verses, he says, um, if, if, if you will confess me before people, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before people, I'm going to have to deny you. And so it's an awesome thing that the Lord looks at him and he says, I, I love the fact that you haven't denied me because that, that allows me to keep confessing you to the Father that you keep confessing me even when it costs you something, even when it hurts, even when there's a price to be paid. You have not denied me, and it's precious to the Lord. 
And so, friends, listen, it's impossible for us to live our lives and not come to that crossroads where we're going to have to, in a moment of time, in a certain situation, a relationship, or a snapshot of a day, we're going to have to decide, am I going to be loyal to the Lord or am I going to deny him in this instance? And yet when we do not deny him, he says, I love the fact because I understand the temptation. You didn't deny me. And he said that to the church at Philadelphia. So just from that end of verse number eight, we learn about these Christians that they weren't impressive. They had a little strength. They weren't politically correct. Why? Because they kept the word of God over the social societal norms. So they weren't ashamed either. They they didn't deny the name of Jesus. Look at the end of verse eight. He had great plans for them. Now, here's where we're going to go, and I don't know how much further we're going to get. And again, you know the rules around here. You get to leave whenever you want, and I get to quit whenever I want. So let's just see what happens here. Verse number eight, Jesus had great plans for them. Look, look at what he says. He's saying this to a church that didn't have a lot of strength, that wasn't in a great situation. He says, behold, when you see the word behold in your Bible, it's an old English word, but, but this is what it carries. This is the import of it. He's saying, check it out. It's a, I want you to focus on this for a second. Hey, behold, check it out. Focus on this, Christians at Philadelphia. I've set something before you. What is it, Lord? It's an open door, and nobody is able to shut it. When we look at this concept that the one with the key of David used that key, which represents authority, and to an entire group of people, he said, I am going to open a door. What does that door represent? Well, first of all, it speaks of a door into the kingdom, that the sovereign God of heaven opens the door by which any who will believe will enter into the kingdom. And so God opens the door. He opened the veil of Jesus' flesh. He tore down the physical veil and the Holy of Holies. And God opened the way for anyone who will believe on Jesus Christ to enter into the eternal kingdom of God and become a son and daughter forever. But it speaks more uh, than just salvation. It speaks of doors opening within that kingdom. It speaks of opportunity. Now, I really want you to hear me on this. We speak so loudly as preachers and so often as preachers. We tell people all the time, hey, you got to be a good steward of your time. You got to invest time in the kingdom. You got to make the best opportunity and redeem the time because the days are evil. And we should preach that. We shouldn't squander our time away. And then we say, hey, you got to be good stewards of your money. Don't waste your money. You need to give unto the Lord. You need to be tithing. You need to be giving and offering. Don't squander your money on mammon. You can't serve both mammon and God. You'll hate one and love the other. And we should preach on being good stewards of our money. So, And we talk about our gifts and our abilities. Don't waste your gifts. Use your gifts. God's put a gift in you. Use it to serve them. And we should preach that too. But let me tell you what we never hear preached. Be a good steward of opportunities because opportunities don't always hang around money you typically once you establish a flow of money you'll have some coming to your life i mean if you work you're going to have some money that's typically the way it works in a capitalistic society gifts and abilities they're kind of there you don't necessarily have to worry about losing your gifts the gifts and the calling of god are without repentance so you can let a gift go dormant but once you make the by faith the choice to use it that gift will be there but opportunity is a different animal altogether because opportunity comes and it may never revisit you in the same way so jesus says this he says i've just opened a door of opportunity for you he's saying to that church I want to do something with you. 
and I want you to do it with me. And I have opened this door, and there's nobody that can shut it. Now, here's the only question. Not whether the door was opened. He said he opened it. Not whether it could be shut. He said nobody would shut it. Here's the only question. Will they walk through it? Friends, I want to say something here. And this, it's just so special on a Wednesday night because most of the church is not even here. I'm going to make a big statement. I've alluded to it in a couple of messages. And I'm just going to make a statement. I can't unpack it yet, but I'm going to tell you something. This verse right here is the current reality for Newbridge Church. The Lord Jesus Christ has opened a door for us. Matter of fact, I've stepped through that door with two other men. And we've seen and heard what the Lord is saying through that door. And, and this is what he's saying to us, myself, Dustin, and another man. He's saying, as you pray over this, as you receive it, as you process what I'm saying to you, you're going to go back and you're going to bring everybody back through this door with you. So, Jeff, that's not fair. You're telling us about an opportunity, right? I'm just asking you, discipline your souls, pray into it, because you're going to know. And there's an opportunity that will define the upcoming season for Newbridge Church. And I'm going to tell you something. We thought the, we thought the birth of Newbridge was, was something, uh, you know, just extraordinary where a Baptist church and Assemblies of God church come together to form a this. But I'm going to tell you something. I think what's coming next pales in, makes that pale in comparison. But here's the thing. The door is open. Are we going to walk through it? There's this word that you don't want on your life anymore. It's an ugly word. Nobody wants it. It's the word regret. Don't you hate that? I've got some. I've got some regrets. But one of the motivating catalysts in my life is I don't ever want to live with any more regrets. So how do we avoid that? By making the most of every opportunity. Philadelphia. I've set before you, I've unlocked that door, I've opened that door, nobody can shut it. And when you see that, that phrase, if, if the open door speaks of opportunity, the statement that nobody can shut it speaks of invincibility. Maybe this is why I'm so charged up tonight, because I've just been pouring over these verses for, for days and days. But listen to what the Lord says, just listen to it. This is where you get to believe Jesus or, or choose not to believe Jesus. That when he opens a door and you walk through it, you are invincible. That means nobody can shut it on you. That means what he has done and you've entered into what he's doing, you're invincible until it's complete. And so the enemy wants to come and he wants to resist it, but he can't stop it. He, he wants to hurt you, but he can't destroy you. That's why Paul would write to the church at Corinth and said, yeah, we've been knocked down, we've been, we've been abused, we've been hurt, we've been, we've been abandoned in, in certain instances by man. But then he comes back and says, yeah, but God hasn't forsaken us. And friends, here's, this, is, this is something of holy confidence that I pray that this assembly and all assemblies, all Christians would just, God, give us a baptism of courage that we would step into what you have opened up for us. And we wouldn't just try to be all dignified and polite and sweet and, you know, this propriety and just so overly cautious about how we walk. But just step in it into confidence and start declaring over ourselves what God declares about us in Scripture. And instead of fearing being misunderstood as some hyper-fanatic Christian, listen, God, raise up some hyper-fanatics. We need some. We, we need some blazing, you know, constantly fueled hyper-fanatical Christians to offset the, the, the preponderance of lukewarmness in the church. 
Have you considered that he he's, he's not only opens doors for churches, but he open, opens doors for individuals? What's your open door? What's your open door? Let me give you something. You won't understand it until you take the first step into it. You won't. You can know that a door is open, but eventually to know what's on the other side, you've got to walk through it. So let me get down into the third point. I'm trucking here. Y'all are hanging in there. If you got to go, you got to go. I'm not going to have my feelings hurt. I know there will be one person here because uh, my wife's got to stay until I leave. So, Oh, actually, she doesn't. She drove herself. So <laughs> when Amy leaves, I'll quit. They're vindicating protector, verses 9 and 10. This is so awesome. Because in invincible doesn't equal uncontested. You need to remember that. Just because you are invincible in the will of the Lord, and you are until he's done with it. If you're in the will of the Lord, you're invincible until he's done. <laughs> Y'all don't believe that, but it's true. But that doesn't mean it won't be contested. Look in verse number 9. The Lord left no room for their doubts. He says, behold, second time he said it, I'm going to make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews, but they're not. They lie. Behold, said it the third time, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Here you get the first kind of glimpse of what the church at Ephesus, or excuse me, Philadelphia was going through. Uh, there were some very angry, persecutory Jewish people that hated the fact that these Philadelphian Christians were daring to live for this one named Jesus, a Messiah that the Jews at that time completely rejected. And so they were coming against this small, unimpressive group of Christians, and they were fighting them, and they were persecuting them. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, oh, I know you've been contested. I know they're fighting you. He said, but I've set this door. It's wide open. They can't shut it on you. They're not going to stop you. By the way, you may be interested to know this. There's still a church to this day in that area that is what's called Philadelphia in the Bible. There's still a group of believers there. The door was, remains open for them. They're still walking in it, generations and generations, 2,000 years later. But here's the thing. Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to make these Jews, and he, I don't have time to unpack this, but racially and physically, they were Jewish. But he says, they don't have the spirit of Abraham. They're not real Jews. Why? Because they rejected the Messiah. And so because they rejected the Messiah, they, and Abraham longed to see Jesus' day, and because they did not have the heart of their father Abraham, their, their authenticity as Hebrews was disqualified by the Son of God. He says, they say they're Jews, but they're not really Jews. If they were real Jews, they would be like Abraham, and Abraham longed to see my day, but they hate my day. That's why they're persecuting you. He said, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. This is Jesus. This is a sweet, tender Jesus. This is Jesus that, you know, turn the other cheek, Jesus. He says, I'm going to make them come and bow down at your feet. And while they're down there, I'm going to let them know I love them. You comfortable with that? If not, it's not my fault because Jesus is the one who said it. He literally said, they are persecuting you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some of them come and bow down at your feet. That just is simply, he's saying, you're going to be standing. They're going to be falling. And I'm going to let them know that my love is on you. That's an awesome thing, especially if you walked in here tonight and you've got somebody who's going after you. And uh, that does happen from time to time. But you know you're in the will of the Lord and you're, you're, you're seeking the Lord and you're pressing into the Lord, but somebody's resisting you and somebody's fighting you and somebody's tearing you down or slandering you or, 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 or coming against you. And, and you, you, there's those moments where you're like, Lord, when is this going to end? When is this going to end? And he just kind of whispers over 2,000 years from Revelation chapter number 3, and he says, eventually, I'm going to vindicate you. 
If you spend all your days uh, demanding vindication, you're going to waste those days. But if you will believe by faith that the Lord is just and holy and he will balance the scales, you can live even in the midst of injustice and oppression and suppression. We live in a fallen world. Nobody gets off scot-free. Somebody's going to do you wrong at some point, but you got to make up your mind. Can you leave it with the Lord and live the life that he's given you? Are you going to fixate on your desire for vengeance and justice now and therefore miss everything that he's got for you? See, there's one thing that won't fit through that door of opportunity, that door of blessing. There's one thing you can't bring with you, and it's a bitter heart. That door is not big enough to take a big old bloated, bitter heart through. And so you've got to leave that on the other side, walk through that door of opportunity, and God will right the wrong in his time. They also uh, had their, the Lord, in verse number 10, affirmed their unswerving loyalty. Just give me a few more minutes. He says, you've kept my word about patient endurance. I love this. The Greek is a little intricate here, and I'm not going to bore you with, with uh, um, Greek structure tonight, but your, your New Testament, this was originally written in Greek. It's translated into English. I'm preaching out of the English Standard Version Bible. And this is what the way it reads here. You have kept my word about patient endurance. In other words, what Jesus is expressing here to them is you have not quit. You have not given up. You have not drawn back. You have not apostatized. You have not walked away. I know that you have been struggling. I know that you have been persecuted. I know that you have recognized your own lack of strength. But he's saying, he's, he's literally affirming them in a letter that we're reading 2,000 years ago. So he's still affirming these believers. These were real people. It's not fairy tale characters. These were real Christians made out of the same stuff you were made out of. And the Lord speaks an everlasting affirmation over them. And he says, you kept on going. You kept persevering. You kept enduring. I've said this before, not recently. I did share it with somebody Sunday on, in private. This is my opinion. You do not have to agree with it. It could be debated, but this is just my opinion. Um, I believe the number one characteristic for people that will live from victory to victory and grow in their faith, I believe, I believe the number one characteristic is endurance, a re simple refusal to quit, ever. You never quit. You can change. The Lord can put you in a new lane. You can come to the conclusion of a season at a time or a place in a ministry or a church and things like that. But I'm, I'm talking about that quitting where you just retire on all things kingdom. You never give up in the heat of battle. You and I both know that we've, we've done life next to people that have, have quit. They've bottomed out. They, they didn't feel like they could go another day, another mile, a, a, another another undefined season and, and hardship and, and just something shifted negatively in their heart and, and they just quit. Every time I preach on a subject like this, I remember the, the last time I preached this, this, this passage of scripture, which would have been six, seven years ago, the same guy that I'm thinking of right now on this, I was thinking of that night. It's a guy that used to preach the gospel. It's a soul winner taught in a Bible college, was radically delivered from drugs and alcohol, heroin addiction, radically delivered, was instantaneously delivered from 20 years of alcohol abuse in a day, and, and, and literally had his family restored to him. It was crazy good. I, I, I love doing life with this guy, 
But something from his past caught up to him in, in about a week's time, maybe a month's time, and it shipwrecked him. And within six months of that haunting ghost from his past just appearing on the radar for an instant, he was back on booze, he lost the family, he abandoned the faith. Jesus says that you're going to be tested, you're going to be fought, but I want you to hear him speak this word over you. You may not feel like you're clicking on all six cylinders. You may not feel like you're in the most fruitful season of your life. You may not be, be experiencing the rush of the kingdom, but the very fact that you're pressing through and you're refusing to quit, and here you are in the midst of a lot of challenges, and you're still saying, Lord, I'm seeking you. I want you. I'm calling on you. I love you. I don't feel you right now, but I believe in you. The Lord says, you're keeping the word of my patient endurance, and I affirm you, my child. And friends, I'm, I'm going to tell you, in seasons like that, if you can just connect with the fact that he's not mad at you, he's not disappointed, he's not frustrated, he's not measuring you by somebody else who's in the prime of their, their spiritual walk. He never does that. It's all about you and him in that moment. And he's saying, you're keeping it. You're keeping it. You're doing it. Keep going. Keep doing it. Go down with me uh, just into verses 11 through 13, and let me just let me wrap this up. Man, he, I, I mean, I just, there, are, there are times when I preach where I, I literally feel like he's in my skin talking to some of you, that he's just trying to leave you, let you go from here tonight saying, it's all a lie. What's been coming against you is all a lie. I'm not upset. I'm not mad. I'm not disappointed. I'm not frustrated. I love you. I see you. I know you only feel like you have a little strength, but I've watched you press in, and I just want you to leave this room tonight knowing that I'm going to go with you, and I haven't forgotten about you. So he says this in verse number 11. He, this is what I forgive the $5 word here, but he contextualizes them. He says, I'm coming soon. We sang that tonight over and over and over again. She, Joy didn't know what I was preaching tonight. And when we were singing it, I just had my own little shouting fit. Because this, this, is, this is what drives my life. It needs to drive your life. The context for our life is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's the whole context for our life. That's what we're living for. Now, we have to do a lot of things in this life, so we may not be conscious every second of every day that I'm, I'm, I'm migrating to But I'm going to tell you, it's impossible to be a believer who's walking with the Lord and not have moments of absolute clarity and awareness that, oh, he's coming again, he's coming again, he's coming again, he's coming again. Because what else matters? I mean, think about it. If he wasn't coming again, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. We're wasting our lives. I mean, if he's not coming again, there's no hope, there's no reason, there's no meaning, there's no purpose. But he is coming again. He's coming again. That's his promise. That's the, that's the overarching promise of, that he left the church with. He says, I'm coming back. And not just coming back to hang out. He goes, well, I'm coming back, and I'm going to receive you to myself so that wherever I am, you get to be there with me. And, and the beauty of it is, is that all of those that, we, we have, that have gone on before us that are with him now, that they're with him so he's not coming back alone. 
He's coming back with all of those that have gone on before us, that great cloud of witnesses, some that we have loved, some that we have lost, some that we have heart-wrenchingly said goodbye to before we felt like we were ready. And he, and he literally is saying, he's saying, listen, death is a doorway. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't disappear. They're with me, and you're going to see us again. So he's coming again. He's coming to planet Earth. He's going to establish his throne on this planet Every single human eye will see him. Every tongue in existence, both human and angelic, both holy angels and fallen angels, you will hear this come off of their tongue. Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will confess him. Everyone will see him. All of the nations, as they rage against the the Jews, they're going to bow before a Jewish king, and they're going to confess him as the Lord and Savior. And in every mighty military, every chest-thumping politician, every president, every king, every monarch, every, every terrorist, all of these people that, that operate in, with, with power for less than holy reasons, all of them are going to be on his footstool because he's going to rule and he's going to reign. And here's the beauty of it. You're going to rule and reign with him, child of God, that you're going to be with him. And so he declares over the ages, that's why we persevere. That's why we endure. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we witness. That's why we sing. That's why we proclaim. That's why we give of our time. We're doing it all, not because we're trapped in some religious system that demands and pounds it out of us, but we're doing it all because the one we're doing it for, we're going to see him. So he's coming to this planet again. I hope you're ready. Friend, if you're here tonight, Please don't misinterpret my passion as anything other than giddy excitement that I'm going to see the one that my soul loves. But if you're not not in him, if you've not bowed to him now by faith, I implore you, don't wait until then where you have to bow before him in, in judgment. Humble yourself now and say, Jesus, Lord, as all humans, I recognize that I am a sinner And I know my sin comes with a price and I've rebelled against you and I've gone my own way and I've lived my own life. And Lord, the fear of you is coming upon me, but I know that you love me and I know that you gave your life for me, Jesus. And I believe that your blood, because the word says it, has paid for my sins. And so I bring nothing else before you, but I trust in what you have done. And I call on you to save me and forgive me and become the Lord of my life. And I get off the throne of my heart and I welcome you to save me. And he's never turned away a single penitent human that will come to him. And one, however it's phrased, he's never said to that one who wants his forgiveness and wants him, he's never said no. He always says yes. He says, I am coming soon. To the Christian, I'm just going to end there. The second thing he says in verse 11, I just, I'm going to stop. He says, I want you to hold fast to your crown. Don't let anybody take it from you. Don't let anybody take the reward that you've earned thus far. It's an awesome thought. He loves to reward. He loves to do it. But we have to finish well. He says... Don't allow anybody in to steal what you have done for me up to this point. How does that happen? 
a whole host of different ways, but primarily it's a locational thing. It means in some way we walk away from him. Discouragement, fear, bitterness, in some way, it could even be something like intentionally entering into immorality and abandoning a faithful, righteous pathway. Jesus says, I want you to be real careful. Don't allow anybody to take your crown. He says, hold on to it. What he's saying is this, prioritize what I have done in you. Treasure it because it's everlasting. Don't let anything take it away. So I want you to just do something with me tonight as I'm closing. Just bow your head, please. I'm done. Y'all are just, y'all are just such gracious people. I just want you to receive what's said tonight. Don't let it be for the other guy, the other lady. Just say yes. Receive the affirmation of Jesus Christ over your life. Any voice that's raising up in you right now saying, that's not true for you, it's not true for you, I declare that voice to be straight from the pit of hell. It's either from the pit of hell or it's sourced in your flesh. Either way, it's not his voice. The voice of the Lord declares to his own that you are beloved, you are complete, you are accepted, and that he is pleased in your endurance for him, whether you feel like you're on top of the mountain or the mountain's on top of you. You are his daughter. That's not a technical term. It's a relational term. You are the daughter of God. You are a son of God. He loves nobody more than he loves you. He's the only being in existence that can give full 100% love undiminished to every object of that love. That's how he feels about you. He's coming soon. Go to bed tonight. Lay your head down. Forget about North Korea. Forget about the ridiculousness in Washington, D.C. Forget about it. Give yourself permission to absolutely dismiss it from your mind. And just think, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Morning or night or noon. <laughs> I'm hoping you'll be there too. And Father, give us courage tonight to walk in truth. Jesus, come quickly, John prayed. We pray it tonight too. In your name, amen.